0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to "Video Games Are the Worst Thing on Earth." I am your host Alton. With me, as always, is Reese. Hello, Reese. Hi. And we have Matt. Which Matt? <laughs> and Matt. Oh.
1: That's right. It's the all Matt episode. Everybody.
0: Woo! Hell yeah! It's Matt plus. But it's the Matt plus episode. I as a goof. We were originally just going to talk to Matt the Nerdy Skull from Twitter, uh, and then I was like, wouldn't it be a hilarious goof, a grand jape, if you will, if I added Matt from Brianne and Matt to the chat, just for shits and giggles? Now I'm here. Hey, Matt. (laughs) The thing about
2: having the name Matt, it's so common that, like... That joke is has been happening since I was four.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, actually, when I was in college, my friends called me Bruce because there were already like seven mats in our friend group. So it was a Monty Python sketch where yeah, 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 <laughs> where
0: well, they're all called Bruce. <laughs> That's actually good. Should we refer to you as Bruce for the purposes of this podcast?
3: <laughs> you can call me the Nerd Skull or Nerd Bruce, Skull. or whatever
0: you want to call me. Okay.
3: We, we were going by Good Matt and Bad Matt.
0: And yeah, initially our uh, our distinctions were to uh, call them Good Matt and Bad Matt.
1: I don't know which one is which, though, so I'm calling it It's Matt and Nerd Skull.
2: Yeah,
0: I think that's YouTube. good. I
2: definitely earned bad, Matt. I definitely tweeted a tweet about slamming my penis on a sliding glass door.
0: <laughs> <the church> today. <laughs> All right, so we're, what are we going to talk about? We're talking about our first article that we want to just get out of the way before we have our serious discussion with Nerdy Skull about a couple of things he wanted to talk about. Is that uh, this story from Kotaku.com by Jason Schreier... Uh, Activism Blizzard lays off hundreds of employees. So this is pretty old news at this point. Uh, Pretty much a a lot of people have covered it, but we wanted to say, fuck Activism Blizzard, basically. This was like their
2: most profitable year, wasn't it?
0: It was. It was was a record-breaking year. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Yeah, let me get into it. Publishing Activism Blizzard has begun its long-rumored layoff process, informing employees this afternoon that it'll be cutting staff. On an earnings call this afternoon, the company said that it would be eliminating 8% of its staff. In 2018, Activism Blizzard has roughly 9,600 employees, which would mean nearly 800 people are now out of work. This afternoon, the mega-publisher began notifying those who are being laid off across its various organizations, which include Activism, Blizzard, and King. On the earnings call, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick... Boo! Hiss! told investors that the company had once again achieved its record results in 2018, but that the company would be consolidating and restructuring because of missed expectations for 2018 and lowered expectations for 2019. The company said it would be cutting mainly non-game development departments and bolstering its development staff for franchises like Call of Duty and Diablo. Ugh. I mean... Just to get into this a little bit, it just it's transparently obvious, like that the reason why they're laying off this staff is because they're not going to meet the same quarterly earnings that they did last year. Uh, this was covered very very well by Jim Sterling uh, and his video about the subject on his Jimquisition. So in order to avoid, you know, their their stock options decreasing, they've had to fucking fire eight hundred people, which is crazy.
3: The the scuttlebutt is that there's not going to be any major game release in 2019 for uh, Blizzard. It's going to be basically a down year for them. So they, I understand that a lot of the layoffs were in esports promotion and organization.
1: That's uh, that's true. I mean, before this happened, as kind of like a prelude, they just basically, without uh, any fanfare, just canceled all their Heroes of the Storm coverage after making basically making promises to a lot of the people, like they they would have, they'd go to the various meetings and stuff, and they say, "Oh, we're excited about the year. Here's the roadmap." And then, like a month later, they're just like, "Hey, fuck y'all. <laughs> so this isn't this isn't scalable."
3: I, I'm surprised because I I would have thought that, uh, you know, Heroes of the Storm, of course, isn't as big as League of Legends or Dota 2, I guess. Right. But I thought yeah. it was still, you know, making some money. And then Overwatch, you know, I, I figured that was pretty up there as far as e- well, Esport.
0: Well, eSports, Overwatch, definitely. Um, I think probably what's happening to Overwatch right now is that it's probably getting hit pretty hard by all the... Uh, Battleground clones? Uh, Overwatch, like, I'm sure I will
2: get pooped on for saying this as well, hasn't been fun in a while. Oh. They've been having balancing and character problems since, like, several months ago, and they just keep adding characters so people will keep fucking signing back on.
0: I, I feel like for a while, Overwatch was the new hotness until Pubga came in and stole its thunder a little bit. And now it's sort of like you've got PUBG, you've got Apex Legends, you have Fortnite, and it's sort of like all these AAA companies are now competing for like that same space.
1: I think in terms of high-level Overwatch play, too, the meta is especially stale, because there's only—you know, this happens in a lot of different games, but I think it's especially glaring in Overwatch, where you, only a couple characters are going to work for any given situation— And it's not a lot of fun to watch a whole bunch of people turtle behind Reinhardt. And then maybe there's some cool sniping or something going on, but it's difficult to follow and just like not terribly engaging. Um, And I think a big problem with Overwatch is that each character can basically only be played one way correctly. And so it's a lot of fun switching between characters, but once the meta has settled... Um, there's nothing interesting you can do within there unless Blizzard makes a change and then that upsets things for a day and then until it settles again.
0: So, this is in contrast, uh, bringing up something that uh, one of the mats said earlier. I'm glad I can just refer to you that way. I don't have to remember which one of you specifically said it. Uh, (laughs) uh, Meanwhile, in a press release to investors this afternoon, Activism CEO Bobby Kotick wrote, While our financial results for 2018 were the best in our history, we didn't realize our full potential. To help us reach our full potential, we made a number of important leadership changes, like firing a bunch of people so you didn't have to pay them. Uh, I added that part. These changes should enable us to achieve the many opportunities our industry affords us, especially with our powerful owned franchises. That's a strange syntax right there. Uh, Our strong commercial capabilities, our di- direct digital connections to hundreds of millions of players, and our extraordinarily talented employees—eight hundreds of which we just fired—I added that part too.
2: A, a good thing to to talk about is like when we talk about like unionization of like game developers. It's not just like the people who make games. Like the people yeah. who work in like accounting or the esports fucking division also need to be able to join
0: that. And the QA department, like for real qa testers from what i understand are some of the most like abused employees of like the entire system oh absolutely and like they more than almost anyone else fucking need a union so bad well
3: it's it's actually especially terrible because they get paid terribly And I really feel bad for them because everybody I've ever known who's been a QA tester for games, you know, in a large, serious company for any length of time ends up hating video games. Just
2: they, they can't
3: go home and play them because it becomes a job to them. And it's just
2: soul sucking. Man, that sounds fucking awful. Well, it's like some QA testers. It's like it's their job to, like, open and close an Xbox all day count how many times before the disc tray breaks
1: another big casualty is the kind of uh, people left in the wake of destiny 2 leaving activision like they had a bunch of support staff for like community and marketing and publishing and rather than blizzard saying like well why don't we kind of figure out for something you to do something until our next big game comes out or whatever they're just like ah
0: We'll just fire you. I ho- yeah, we'll just fucking cast you out in the street. Good luck, assholes. I don't know if your article mentions
3: this, but the I think the most galling part of this whole thing is honestly the CEO and C-Suite pay in general. They just hired, I think it was a new CFO. It might have been his new CTO. And they got a $15 million with an M dollar signing bonus. Yeah, and yep. they, and then there's also the, uh, of course Bobby Kotick himself, who I, I don't even know what his compensation is. It's probably nearly a hundred million dollars over a couple of years.
0: God, you're right. Activision gives fifteen million sweetener to new CFO Dennis Durkin. Uh. Yeah, so while laying off eight hundred people, they just gave this fucking dipshit. $15 million on top of his like 900,000 salary and like 1.35 million target bonus. Ugh.
3: And I believe most of these employees were not making a hundred thousand dollars, but even if you assume they were making a hundred thousand dollars a year salary, you could employ uh, 150 of those people for the next year off of just that bonus alone. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's fucked.
3: And I figure those those employees were probably making more like 50 to 70 a year, honestly. I don't know how much uh, Bobby Kotick gets his compensation. I'm sure it's absolutely ridiculous. But,
0: you know, if, you, if, if he took a more reasonable salary, that would be fine. They're paying him a bunch of money, but, like, half of that's just going to, like... You know, baby souls and baby blood that he can drink in his dark infernal lair. And if they just paid him directly in that, you would say the company would save a bunch of money. Do
1: you want to hear Bobby Kotick's net worth? Yes, seven billion dollars. Uh, Since we're on the subject of Bobby Kotick, I have a, brought up this uh, Kotaku article from a while ago about him, uh, and I have a couple of things I want to point out. Mm -hmm. The uh, self-explanatory title of this is called Please Quit Photoshopping Horns onto Bobby Kotick. It's bad for his dating life. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And it's about an interview he had, and uh, there's another uh, little bit where he talked about Kotick duped the sheriff's office at San Mateo County, California, when he took over Activision at a time when the company's assets were being seized to pay debts. When a deputy Mm -hmm. arrived to repo an expensive IBM mainframe in 1990, an office assistant surrendered a PDP-11 instead, which apparently is worth vastly less. So, like, awesome scamming the police
0: department, but... I mean, that would be praxis if he wasn't a fucking capitalist pig.
1: He's a libertarian, so allegedly... allegedly, He he thinks it's just ebophilia. (laughs) (laughs)
3: If you look at some of the other big companies out there, not to say that Nintendo is perfect, but Satoru Iwata famously took a pay cut during a bad year, and so did the entire management team at Nintendo of Japan in order to make sure they did not
0: have to fire any workers. Which is dope. That's cool. They shouldn't be paid that much in the first place, though, just saying.
1: Well, and I think a nice thing that he said too in there, well, I, I agree, Olten. Um, He does have the right idea where he says, if we make our workers afraid and lower morale, they're not going to make anything good because they're going to be worried about their jobs and not about making stuff. And I certainly agree that there's like a larger conversation about uh, creativity under kind of like corporate capitalism. But I do think that that is 100% true and it's like Blizzard Activision could certainly use some creativity right now based on the <laughs> latest
0: WoW patch it's been a little while since they've actually released a game um that didn't make people absolutely fucking furious like the Diablo <laughs> mobile game did um, people are
3: real I figure bad. that's probably going to be coming around 2010 or 2011 the like the actual Diablo 4 but they're not ready to show anything yet. Though the word is, is that they were going to show it this year, mm-hmm. but they they ended up missing their target for what they needed to be able to show it and show it well. So that they're like, oh, we're gonna show the mobile thing that we were just gonna like, show along with it.
0: Right, yeah, I've heard that as well um, on the Jimquisition. But anyway, I think we should, uh, unless someone has something more to say about this situation, we should move on since we, got, we won't get through these topics fuck these animals well, one, burn them down hell yeah
1: one quick thing i wanted to add is that this comes in the wake of blizzard uh, slashing budgets for all of their games that they've already had to and you can see it in all of their games that they specifically talk about uh padding out all of their game systems and spending less on them uh, mm. to kind of like make make money. Since then, and engagement is down all all around. But they still had, despite doing that, despite last year's Call of Duty not doing that well, they did these insane forecasts just to be evil business people about it, just to make as much money as possible.
3: And and that that you know, like lack of uh, engagement and budget kind of shows with. In my, you know, in my experience, I played the new World of Warcraft expansion for the first raid tier, Mm -hmm. and it just, this expansion just didn't really work for me. There was some cool stuff going on, but most of it was just so blah. You
0: have it here, folks. So blah, (laughs) says Matt the Nerdy Skull, about the new uh, (laughs) World of Warcraft expansion. I know nothing about World of Warcraft, so I'll take your word for it. What were you saying, Reese? I was
1: saying I, I played it too. Uh, I, I, unfortunately one of my many flaws is that I play world of Warcraft (laughs) and the latest content patch, um, has added absolutely nothing except, you know, grind up this or that, that with no, almost no new art assets, the newest raid. Um, it seems like it's was, it's well designed, but all of the uh, art assets are reused except for like one or two new models. Um, it's crazy just how little they put into the,
0: to it. Good. That's capitalism for you. The most efficient system possible. It rewards creativity. It does. Creatively Boom. reusing your assets, firing as many employees as possible, uh, and paying your investors the most important thing of all. And in conclusion, we should Photoshop uh, Bobby Kotak to
1: look like both Shrek and to have devil horns. Bobby Kokuk. I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Alright,
0: let's 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 move Cold on. Cold cut. Unless you all mean.
1: have uh, something else to say.
0: No, we I should think move, we on. Can move on. Yeah. Now we can get into... I want to start off our discussion with Matt and representation in the media with This article from RockPapershotgun.com called trans representation in cyberpunk 2077 matters, but not because it's cyberpunk. And I think this is a really good article and I want to read all of it. If we can, it's not too long. It's like six paragraph. No, nope. Eight paragraph. Nope. 10 paragraph. Uh, and I'm very drunk. So I'd like somebody else to start us off. I will start us off. Thank
1: you, Reese. Even before its recent gameplay public unveiling, Cyberpunk 2077 was the target of a very particular piece of criticism. Perhaps sparked by the transphobic joke made by the game's Twitter account, many online people have been calling out 2077 for presenting yet another future that, despite its overt themes of transhumanism and body modification, falls strictly into the gender binary. Despite the gender diversity already prevalent in our own world and time, players in 2077 are asked to choose between a strictly male or female character. Many online have been saying that this is at odds with the genre from which the game gets its name and ideas. Cyberpunk shouldn't be cis is more or less the argument. The criticism has dogged the game for weeks now and probably uh, will follow it all the way to its release, yet it doesn't quite ring true to me. Uh, this case, This article is from September
0: 2018, just for some context. Yes, by Sam Greer. It's a good article. We're going to read it. Before I get into the nitty-gritty of my issues with what we've been shown with cyberpunk in 2077, and much of the criticism surrounding it, I think it's important to dissect the word that seems all too important to both. Cyberpunk. The word itself was coined by Bruce Bethke? for his novel of the same name, published in 1983. On the creation of the title, Beth says, I was actively trying to invent a new term that grokked the juxtaposition of punk attitudes and high technology. Grokked the juxtaposition. That is not a word you want to read when you're drunk. My reasons for doing so were purely selfish and market-driven. I wanted to give my story a snappy one-word title that editors would remember. The novel itself features no body modification, no androids, or artificial bodies. It's a story about hackers, even if the novel never calls them that. But no one story can claim to found a genre. So what about the other pillars of
1: cyberpunk? 1984's Neuromancer has to be mentioned, defining so much of what we consider essential to the genre. So, that explores issues of gender identity, right? Uh, no. Body modification features, but it's never used to much effect. The gender binary is very much intact in Neuromancer's vision of the future. Perhaps 1975's The Long Tomorrow, the genre's visual foundation, provides its assumed transgender core? Again, no. It tells a hard-boiled noir story in an elaborate sci-fi world, but it's no more concerned with gender diversity than any of the works it's influenced. The Ridley Scott classic Blade Runner, the anime Titan Akira, they define this genre, but not one of them is interested in presenting a future where gender identity exists as anything other than the binary. Instead, the thing that binds these works is a simple technology as an invasive force, sometimes a weapon of capitalism and sometimes a vehicle for personal escapism. Later works absolutely use the genre's tropes to push cyberpunk in a more progressive direction, but it's important to recognize that they were pushing against what had come before. To, prevent, to pretend the genre has always progressive, that it always explored issues of race and gender, is to erase the efforts of many authors to bring Cyberpunk to this place.
0: Would you like reading Matt and Matt? I'm all good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, think about the way you said that made me be like, oh, okay. <laughs> I have a throat full of phlegm. I am not challenging the basis of this criticism to completely undermine it. I do agree with the argument that 20- uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is disproportionately old fashioned in its presentation and exploration of gender and identity. Founding these complaints on the basis that 2077 isn't cyberpunk enough, though, is only opening them up to easy retorts because the genre overall hasn't ever really been about that stuff. Cyberpunk 2077's failure isn't adhering to these imagined tenets of a subgenre. Its failure is on its own terms, and it's one of... of uh, being drunk is kind of bad for reading. Drink it's, more. <laughs> that's right. It was, I gotta I'll break through, through this initial barrier of drunkenness to get to the part where you're good at reading when you're drunk. Uh, Its failure is on its own terms and it's one of imagination. The game's premise and source material is a banquet of science fiction ideas. Virtual reality, body modification, robots, megacities, derivative maybe, but providing a wealth of potential stories and themes to explore. Yet Cyberpunk 2077, from what has been shown so far, and despite quest designer Patrick Mills describing the genre as inherently political, seems far more interested in the stylistic trappings of the genre it belongs to over the storytelling potential of its ideas. Everything is loud and brash. Golden cybernetic arms and jackets with neon collars, sports cars running on superfuel, and thugs with robotic implants in their faces. It's all exquisite eye candy, but in the, the 48 minute demo shown, there's no promising angles on what it means to be able to alter your body on a whim. What it might mean to have corporations literally own you, or what the consequences are for a society able to transcend its biological limits.
1: These are all well-trodden roads in science fiction, but the fact Cyberpunk 2077 isn't putting that foot forward to start with raises some concern. Not least of all because CD Projekt Red's last title, The Witcher 3, was full of subversive stories that used fantasy tropes as a mean to explore issues of war, class, and even domestic abuse. Cyberpunk 2077 has a lot to prove following on from Geralt's adventure, but what they've shown, whilst a technical marvel, is lackluster in the areas that made The Witcher 3 truly transcendent. Failing to blaze a trail in the AAA world by offering a gender-diverse one to play in is simply one of its many avenues 2077 doesn't seem interested in exploring, even if it's one of the avenues that is much more relevant to the world we live in now. There are a few games that have managed to pave the way in this regard. Games like Pyre and Battletech don't offer a rich exploration of gender, but they do present worlds more diverse than the norm, and the way they do is simple. At the start of each game, you're able to assign pronouns to the player character, he, she, or they, it's simple, but creates a huge range of role-playing for players that most games don't. Couldn't Cyberpunk 2077, with its androgynous name for a player character, V, work the same way? Let this name act in place of pronouns, and let the players define their own minds of the gender identity of their character.
0: Okay, I hope you guys are paying attention, because I'm mostly fo- focusing on reading. What? <laughs> you fuckers. Uh, of course we can't not mention the Saints Row series. It really is laughable that this 10-year-old game still offers the best AAA character creator in terms of gender diversity, which is very true. This is me doing an aside. Uh, The the Saints Row series since, like, 2 has had, like, a very progressive and customizable character creator, and it's pretty cool. While it still asks players to lock into male or female, it lets them mix any and all characteristics available. This seems like something 2077 could have gone for that would have really played into the themes of the world. Let's hope its character creator is far deeper than what they've shown. Then there's the Red Strings Club, which portrays an incredibly gender diverse but still very cyberpunk future. More than that though, is that exploring identity is at the heart of the game and gender is one aspect of that that the Red Strings Club spends plenty of time with. 2077 probably isn't aiming for anything as bold as that, but honestly, it'll be a little sad if it's not even in the same league. So yes, 2077
1: doesn't seem to be making the most of its premise, and there's plenty of criticisms to make it on that front. Attaching them to some non-existent version of the cyberpunk genre, though, leaves them open to be easily disproved, and the limits of scope of criticism... Because while it does make sense in Cyberpunk 2077's case, I do wonder why we're laser-focused on one game when this is an issue throughout our whole medium. Why are our character creators still so limited? Why do other games with similar themes and worlds also fail to explore the nuances of transhumanism? Cyberpunk 2077 deserves this skepticism, and we'll have to wait for the final release to see whether it truly fails to delivery. But we shouldn't let this criticism live or die on the execution of one game. Let's think bigger. And let's thank everybody in this audience for making it through audiobook time.
0: (laughs) The worst thing on earth. Yeah, sorry about that. It's just that this article is like, it's so good. And it's almost like a direct uh, response to an earlier episode that we did with the Nerdy Skull talking about how cyberpunk is an inherently political and inherently kind of progressive genre. And this sort of puts that to bed a little bit in terms of how it says that, you know, it's not always been progressive. It's only been recently that these themes of transhumanism have been fully explored in the way that they should have been. See, I actually agree and disagree with this
3: article. Okay. So while I agree that the ideas of certain elements of progressivism, like for example, trans friendliness and gender diversity stuff have not always been you know like pillars of cyberpunk right and i would i i if i argued that before i i i didn't really mean to say that they are really pillars of it necessarily but i would say that the genre has always been progressive but not necessarily to that extent if that makes sense I mean, like, what what's progressive for the 1970s and the 1980s is very different than what we consider progressive in the 90s and the and the, the
0: cyberpunk world where women can drive.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whoa! <Well.
3: laughs> I agree with part of this. I just think that it's. I I think that it's weird to say that cyberpunk isn't progressive i would i would say precisely that i would i would agree that cyberpunk hasn't always been open to trans
0: identity issues well i would say that um honestly uh i think that patrick mills was right in describing the the genre as a sort of inherently political thing seeing how it's connected to like the punk identity and how You know, whether you can say that that's sort of like an aesthetic lifestylist approach to politics, where you're not really uh, engaging in the mechanism of politics, you know, that's a criticism you can make of it, but it is inherently political in how it styles itself. Uh, But it's not necessarily progressive in the sense that it, it has themes of inclusion, you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's progressive is, an, is a very broad umbrella term, I would say. So it's, right. when you say progressive, some people might hear that and think, oh, gender politics or whatever. Uh, but then some other people might, pe- people might hear it and say, oh, this is uh, social welfare stuff, things like that. It, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But for me, the big thing is the word punk. You can't really be punk without being some sort of counterculture movement. And no matter what people like Paul Joseph Watson <laughs> say, oh, I conservatives have never had any claim <laughs> to the, the punk identity ever.
2: Just putting it out there. If you're a conservative, you cannot be punk. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate keeping. That's like the opposite of punk. But... but You're not. Well, So stop saying it.
1: Well, I certainly agree. Um, There is certainly a kind of regressive reactionary aspect, kind of like the the origins of punks. Those were some misogynist motherfuckers there in the UK. Um, That really wasn't the heart and soul of the genre at all. It was what captured was that counterculture pushing back against the institutions. And that's what I think kind of why we fixate on uh, cyberpunk 2077 and Cyberpunk in general is that Sam Greer is 100% correct that maybe it's a little silly to expect CD Project Red who has had all these tweets that come out to really be expecting this kind of thing from them despite the name. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's unreasonable despite the origins of the individual stories to assign this kind of hope for the the identity they will portray in these kind of stories. Mm. I was just going to say, the genre has in
3: fact evolved. You have a lot of visions uh, of cyberpunk now that are really associated with these bright, blue-haired female hackers that uh, kick various gender stereotypes and all kinds of stuff like that. There's stuff like Android Netrunner and Shadowrun, which all have been used to tell these very progressive
0: stories. And horny stories like hard-coded which is ai uh, don't know if you guys have heard of this one have you heard of hard-coded
2: are you getting horny i have not
0: hard-coded is according to kotaku a sexy cyberpunk dating sim about and by trans folk and so that's like somebody who has taken cyberpunk and made it like explicitly about trans people because it fit the genre is honestly such a natural fit for like trans stories it really makes sense for people to use it in that way, even though that it might not be explicitly like related to trans issues. it's sort of like it presents like this idea of transhumanism and body modification that makes it perfect for that kind of story
3: well, not only that, you have the issues of cyberspace and online identities and things like that as well. And when you have, you know, these virtual reality computer systems and interfaces and stuff like that, you know, we we saw a little bit of, I, I, I hate to mention the movie or book, but you have Ready Player One even making noises <laughs> towards this without actually, you know, doing anything interesting with it. And then there's the whole subgenre of anime isekais of stuck in VR MMORPGs. That some of which actually
2: do interesting things with this, unlike Sword Art Online. What I find inherently disappointing about like the conversation that Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven isn't going to be like the character creation and the trapping a trans character or whatever. But like what I find inherently disappointing about that is like reading a lot of if you read Cyberpunk or if you watch Cyberpunk stuff, there's a lot of talk about you know legality, what is a person, how you're treated by, by society, which is like. A lot of stuff that my, my trans friends tell me they can identify with. Um For them to not have that something that like fucking nerds who pick pe- who make to attack helicopter jokes online would identify with and are going to play this game, like that, bums me out a little bit because it's like, oh, maybe you could give them an inkling of empathy. That would be good.
1: I don't know. Uh, I I feel like the um, the empathy attack helicopter has left the <laughs> heliport on that one.
3: You know, I think. The fact, the commercial success of things like Overwatch and Apex Legends I think is encouraging where, you know, these, these games have a lot of representation of different kinds of characters. Though, uh, you know, I think Apex Legends is overall doing a better job than Overwatch is for the moment. Very but Overwatch is still doing a lot better than a lot of
0: uh, media out there. Well, I think that's true, but I think that there's some acknowledgement to be had in that, uh, you know, Apex Legends had had the benefit of being able to observe what Overwatch did and then improve upon it, and do it right in a way that they come right out the gate with acknowledging the identities of these different characters, Um, which is nice, even though I kind of fucking hate that game because it's... So fucking hard it makes me feel like I'm slamming my deck at a door. Sliding glass door. Yes.
1: I would just like to say as an aside that when I first played Apex Legends with Alton, uh this is not related. Uh he said, we said, Oh, are you gonna go through the tutorial? He's like, Oh, I don't need to go through the tutorial, it's a shooter. And spent the next 15 minutes just <laughs> s- screaming at the top of his
0: lungs that he didn't know how to do anything, <laughs> and that he was dying, and <laughs> it hurt, and he was afraid. Okay. And ter- and he- Here's what changed after I did the tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking nothing. I knew how to do everything, and it didn't help, and I still die every time I play the game. Did you guys have anything more to say about, um, representation? It's good. <laughs> I like, your, I like your little addition there, Matt. It was very good. Thank you. I
3: still think that it's a great thing for games to do these things like Apex Legends. And, you know, it's, it's actually kind of funny because there's, there's, you know, internet shitlords out there who are trying to use the success of Apex Legends to say, oh, you know, gamers really aren't as bad as the SJWs want you to believe. Right. And you know, it's it's actually, I would actually say that is correct. Most gamers actually agree with the terrible SJWs as far as you know. <laughs> these it doesn't matter if these characters are diverse. We we can still have fun with these games, and we're not going to really raise a big fuss about having. You know, a gay character here, or a non-white character here, or an explicitly non-binary robot here. You know, that's just how it goes. We can we can deal with that. It's just that there's there's these particular individuals who make a huge ruckus about it whenever these things happen. That they have to get dragged, kicking and screaming, into a world that is rapidly leaving them behind, more or less.
1: But Matt, as a counterpoint, there are politics in the video game, Matt.
2: It is ruining the video game. It's killing me. I have to to interject something here because something that Matt just said that like these types are like, oh, well, this proves that the SJWs are wrong about gamers. It was our sweet, sweet honey glazed baby boy. Oh, Jeremy Hambly <laughs> who released a video that was like the, Hamley. the Legends success proves that SJWs are wrong about gamers or something like
0: that I would like to share a little bit of gamer salt before we move on about Apex Legends Somebody went through the one star reviews for Apex Legends And <laughs> this comes to us from Gunbreaker Shuri uh, At Summoner Shuri it's Halo, Xbox, one star. This game is turning my son transsexual. But my son has been playing this game recently. There is only one problem. He keeps using the female characters. I think this gun, This game is turning my son transsexual. I am not the only one who thinks this. <laughs> everyone in my Facebook group is having the same problem in this game and others. <laughs> oh... And that's from I It's Halo, which is a great I would like,
1: I would like to read a response to this tweet that I just found. Okay. From Shaku Tweet. I think I get where he's coming from. Recently my kid started playing this game, but he only plays Pathfinder. I started finding him putting his dick in the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> this game is trying to turn my son into a robot. That's an excellent tweet. Speaking
3: of representation, it's not just for games, too. I, I, I usually do not like e-celebs, but the one e-celeb I currently completely stan is uh, Sonic Fox, of course. I, I keep joking that we're about one step away from having uh, someone's persona being used to advertise to normies in Costco. Because, you know, Hell Team yeah. Echo Fox cool. totally has a deal with Asus to sell hardware. And so you have, like, Team Echo Fox branded stuff on, like, end caps in Costco. And so it's, like, just one more step until, like, Sonic Fox's Persona appears on that to advertise to the normies. And I want to see that
0: so bad. It'll be Fuck, such man. a complete circle having that, like, having the, the, the Sonic's Fox advertisement on a cereal box next to tony the tiger (laughs) it's just like hey tony (laughs) how's it going Uh, i
3: i will i will forgive capitalism just this once
0: (laughs) (laughs) there is one aspect of capitalism which i don't hate in the way that it deconstructs social norms basically exclusively to sell to increasingly smaller groups. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I I have kind of noticed how uh, the d- deconstruction of like the traditionalist household has been a byproduct of capitalism.
3: Yeah, for sure. The, because you know, back in the the fifties, you know, the mm. the time that all the anti feminists want to return to, you most houses only had one you know, one person with an income and the other person was a homemaker. And of course that was disproportionately, you know, gender. Mm -hmm. And capitalism has deconstructed that by making everyone need to work. So everybody gets to,
0: gets to have a shitty. Hell yeah. Equality under the crushing boot of capitalism. I mean, it does. It is true that it, it
1: deconstructs everything. Including mm. uh, more regressive elements, you know, capitalism gave us, uh, you know, the gave us blood diamonds uh, as, <laughs> as it was raising women up. So, <laughs> I, I I'm not going to give it too much credit, and in fact, I will cancel Alton for clout later uh, because he suggested something about capitalism wasn't that bad.
2: But under no circumstances should you hand it to ISIS. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
3: i i I think I'm the one that's likely to be cancelled because I think everybody else is a uh is a democratic socialist and I'm the only one here who is a social democrat so i'm I'm a dirty oh, little
1: boo.
2: <laughs> boo
1: I think you're also uncancelable just because you have received so much online hate that I can't imagine anything can pierce your thick online carapace now
3: (laughs) i mean it's it's absolutely true because like if 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 anybody like comes at me with something it's just like they they've come at me with so much false bullshit over the years that it's like even if something's real i can just be like oh i guess they're lying about me again
2: Mm. like they, they basically made me invulnerable you have a get out of jail free card forever
0: you know thinking about it a little bit more uh i'm I'm sure somebody has some very strong opinions about this and i'd be interested to hear more what other people think about it in that maybe it's not capitalism specifically but like other things could be affecting this in our specific society maybe it's it's stability and like cultivated uh, identity and i don't know about that maybe but it's sort (laughs) of like It could be multiple factors contributing to, like, a progressive movement, but I think that that it would be interesting to discuss, like, what is the cause of that? If it's not capitalism, is it in spite of capitalism? Personally, I believe that, like, now
2: that it's becoming—I don't know how to phrase this in a way that doesn't make me sound shitty— now that it's becoming socially acceptable to not be a 50s housewife or father or their children, a boomer— yeah a boomer and people are just being who they are right and right. capitalism is like slowly realizing like oh no we still have to sell things to to these people so mm. they adopt progressive ideas and when capitalism adopts quote-unquote progressive ideas or whatever um they become mainstream and yeah interesting. i would
3: say that's that's pretty pretty true and in fact that's Basically, those are the people, those are the capitalists who are going to be successful from now on. Because, you know, th- those are the people who adapt with it instead of writing those, you know, fucking articles about
0: how millennials have killed this, that, and the other. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking forward to killing some more industries. Let's be real here. What
3: What's the, the, the Undertale meme? So hyped for the destruction of the real estate industry.
0: i mean i'm i'm more on board with the uh, cranky nelson approach of killing all the small business owners oh the antifa super
3: soldiers beheading small business owners in the public square
0: yes on november 2nd hell yeah november 2nd 2019 be there or be square to
1: respond uh, to what you said before alton i personally think that it there's usually some kind of on-the-ground organizing force, either, you know, more specifically labor-oriented or just, you know, people in, as a whole mm. reacting that kind of steers the river in a more positive direction. And then capital co opts that, and then it's kind of a feedback loop of people reacting to that again. So yeah. I think I, I would like to give credit more to the general moral like sensibilities of, of the group as opposed to anything else.
0: That's true. I mean, you do have like socialist groups such as like the YPG that are very progressive. Oh, you mean the Antifa group that fights ISIS? Yes. In the middle East. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. They're dope. I still
3: love the the whole way the online right-wingers' heads explode when you
0: explain that, there's,
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> that they're socialists go out and kill ISIS.
0: Yeah, it, it's so funny to hear, like, apparently there have been ex-soldiers, ex-marines that have gone over there to, like, fight ISIS because they're like, Ura, fighting ISIS is what I do best. I chew bullets for breakfast. And then they they get over there like oh my god these people are commies <laughs> and that's very funny to me and it's also very funny that piss pig granddad went from being like a ypg soldier to like helping to organize a union
3: was he the person who clapped back on the communism kills chick yeah if, uh, we
0: got yes. the yes <laughs> <Lincoln? laughs> yeah you, oh yeah. that tweet was fucking legendary Oh, I'm in a communist compound, and we got dozens of blankets. It's warm <laughs> as fuck in here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. I-, I feel like there are a lot of people on like r slash socialism that hate Piss Pig Grandad for being an adventurist, but it's just like, man, he's a fucking excellent poster, and you gotta respect that. So sometimes you gotta respect the art of the post. Yes. Alright, so, are we, do you think, I think we've wrapped that topic up pretty well. I think we might want to wrap up, finish up with this last topic for Reese, I was very excited to present to us this Serenity movie.
1: Serenity, I'm pretty sure it's a movie that came out that this, right at the start of 2019, like, didn't do that well, very, like, not a big movie. Uh, but uh, I think it deserves our attention. It was going around Twitter for a while, but, you know, it's tough out there on Twitter to keep... uh to keep people's attention. So I just wanted to circle back around to anybody who didn't catch it. So uh, it's this article from Slash Film by Hoy Tran Bull. And the title of the article is Serenity Has the Wackiest Ending of 2019 and We're Only a Month In. Right from the beginning, there is something off about Serenity. The sultry neo-noir thriller starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway seems to take place on a fictional fishing island that boasts a New England name but a tropical climate, while I speak with a vague southern twang. McConaughey's character, Baker Dill, receives strange visions and omens, some of them seemingly supernatural in nature. And there's the matter of Jeremy Strong's bespectacled businessman chasing after Baker Dill with urgent news about... something. These all lay the grounds for a twist of sorts or a revelation at that some greater conspiracy is at work. But the Serenity ending has a twist that's so out of left field, it feels like you have fallen into some drug-fueled fever dream. Major spoilers, blah blah. It takes two-thirds of the movie for Jeremy Strong's businessman, Reed Miller, to reach Baker. At this point, Baker has been slowly unraveling following the sudden appearance of his ex-wife Karen, who has tasked him with killing her abusive husband, Initially resistant to her pleas, because of his obsession with catching an elusive tuna. Oh Baker' is worn down.
0: A by gi- the an elusive the giant tuna. <laughs> Just you wait.
1: Uh, Baker is worn down by a series of visions that he receives from his son with Karen, Patrick, with whom he seems to share a telepathic connection. Serenity appears to be planting the seeds for a supernatural twist. But that premise is completely disrupted when Reed Miller finally catches up with Baker. Reed introduces himself as a representative of a fishing company that wants to give Baker a fish tracker free of charge. But he lets something slip as Baker tries to push him out of the house. I am the rules, Reed says. He continues to babble, revealing that he knows all about Baker's obsession with the tuna called Justice and his intention to kill the man abusing his ex-wife. Is he an alien? A prophet? No, Reed is literally the rules- of a video game. Oh my god. Baker Dill is not a real (laughs) person... Not a real person, but a character in a fishing video game that his son has been tampering with to play out his fantasies of killing a digital version of his abusive stepfather. Baker is based on his father, who has died in the Iraq War, but Baker (laughs) retains all of those memories of his son and his time in the war, and for some reason can hear his son as Patrick inputs the code... It changes the mundane fishing game into a murder scenario. Baker undergoes a crisis of identity and free will, but decides to obey his son anyway and go through the killing of the abusive husband, despite the game's various NPCs trying to thwart him, including at one point his first mate, Duke, hiring a group of gangsters to break the husband's hands so he can't fish. <laughs> no one dies in the game, Reed tells Baker. Throughout the film, Patrick is shown in the room playing the game while his stepfather beats his mother in the next room over. The twist reveals that these weren't flashbacks to a different moments uh, when Patrick fled to his game to escape his stepfather's violence, but one long scene that bookends the movie and as video game baker kills the digital stepfather. Patrick picks up the knife in reality to kill the one next door. And that's the happy. Ending. Oh my
0: god! Thank you for saving me from watching this movie. I'm gonna watch. It. No, I'm. I agree with. I agree with Matt. This sounds fucking amazing. I want to watch this I, now. I cannot wait to watch this movie. It's it's so
1: insane, and I. Uh, oh, I just wanted to share this with all of you because I knew wow. that it, it's it's. I can't. This is a movie that got wide release in 2018. That's beautiful, that's that, incredible that,
0: that sounds pretty ridiculous. I'm so pumped. we gotta do like i i okay, proposing this now. we've got to do like a Vgato um watch through of this and like n s three t k style <laughs> uh i can't uh, I
2: can't wait when it was revealed it was a fishing game for some reason, my brain went <laughs> to that one Sega Dreamcast fishing game. <laughs> i like oh matthew mcconaughey is this a sega dreamcast <laughs>
0: god and then like this idea that you can like edit the code of a video game like it to to make it about murdering someone when it's originally like a fishing game like you'd have to be a fucking professional programmer to do that shit
3: yeah i was, I was
1: i'm that ju- it just angers me as a programmer i'm sorry there there are lots of games about killing people it's the predominant thing you do in video games (laughs) the idea what angers
0: me is that that the son (laughs)
1: hasn't discovered modding the stepfather's abusive behavior
0: kept modding from the son (laughs) he literally this literally could have been like a, a bethesda game or something I think well imagine that, like it's a fucking fantasy game, but with like the same premise. It's that would Skyrim. Be so yeah, Skyrim, but where it's a video game character and he realizes he's in a video game and then his son murders a man and he fucking Fusro Daws the same guy off a cliff.
1: It's like that Golden One video where he's killing people in Skyrim, uh saying yeah.
0: that's a feminist but <laughs> he's killing
1: people in Skyrim and going,
0: That's my dad. That's, that's, se- my that's, that's my dad. That's the sequel. This is that's the sequel to this one. It's the, it's the golden one playing Skyrim. And it's just like just like this crazy person killing a bunch of feminists. I do like surrealist stuff and like stuff about
3: like video games and stuff like that. Like, you know, I think I mentioned it before, but I do like that whole virtual reality MMO Isekai genre, even though it's mm-hmm. like saturated mm-hmm. and trash. I still love the concept of it, and think that you could tell some really cool stories in there if you if you had half a mind to. It's just right. that you know a lot of the really popular ones don't go into the really fucky identity uh, and you, you know surrealist stuff because I think you you'd lose a lot of the mass audience. But at the same time, it would be much more artistically
0: interesting if you were to do that stuff. I agree. I mean, I think the biggest issue with those kinds of animes is that it's sort of like, the first couple episodes they're like, oh my god, we got sucked into an RPG and then it's like straightforward fantasy schlock after that.
3: Yeah, they really need to do Mm -hmm. more with it. I think the only one that actually does a
0: good job is Log Horizon. Well, I think this is the better way to do it, honestly. It's like, you start off thinking everything's normal, and then it's revealed to be a video game. And I think that that... provides a much more interesting arc. I like the idea of Matthew McConaughey and he like finds out he's in a video
2: game and he like blacks out and then he comes to and he's in the fucking wagon at the beginning of Skyrim.
0: <laughs> 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 that, that that's that's a meme at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. I think we've we probably run out of time for now unless someone else has something to say. I think I one thing that
3: I kind of wanted to circle back on briefly and mm. you know just maybe riff off of was just the idea of keep politics out of video games just in mm-hmm. the sense that pre- you you really can't make a political an apolitical video game all all games are going to have politics in some way shape or form even if you make a a sports game. There's, there are politics involved in sports. And in fact, there are politics involved in trying to make a game that depicts a, you know, like a, a pastoral, you know, like open field sports, sports thing. Even if you do that kind of stuff, you know?
1: No, I, I agree with you that ignoring the politics is is political
0: in and of itself. But anyway, let's go ahead and wrap things up. So we'll start off with Matt of Brianne and Matt. Where can people find you?
2: They can find me and Brianne at www.youtube.com slash and Matt or on Twitter at Brianna and Matt or behind a dumpster at a fast food restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Check out
1: their excellent YouTube videos. They are in the same family of gamer roasting, dipshit roasting as us. If you haven't listened to any podcasts with them on it before, uh,
0: they're they're excellent. Check them out. Yeah, our episode with them called The Brain Breaker is fucking excellent. And uh, I think I, I can't remember if I changed the title to something more fitting. You change it to Glazing the Hambly. oh yeah that's actually a much better title glazing the hambly is a is an absolutely is one of our best episodes in my opinion and you should check it out all right so matt the nerdy skull on twitter where can we find you and your great online content i'm i'm mostly a
3: a twitter poster uh i I'm I'm an earnest political poster and just talk talk about games. You can find me at Twitter at m underscore nerdskull. Uh, I I have recently moved out from behind the fast food dumpster with with the other Matt. And, uh, <laughs> Very good. I'm trying to trying to lose a little bit more of that weight.
0: Excellent.
1: Matt is a good uh, nerdskull is a good Twitter follow because he's constantly starting shit with people and it rules. I try. I try to cut
3: down on that sometimes, but honestly, I I don't know. Just sometimes
0: dumb people get to me. I I can't help it. I understand. Reese, where can people find you and your great online content?
1: You can find me at twitter dot com slash at your very good bud. Uh, and I make uh, not as many tweets lately, but I I promise I will revert, I'll bounce back,
0: and uh, yeah, that's it. Alright, excellent. And you can find me at 8Alton8 on Twitter, uh, at uh, AltonPlays on YouTube.com, where we have the full VOD for all of our episodes, Uh, so check that out. And also check out our main site for the podcast called VideoGamesAreTheWorst.Pinecast.co. Uh, For our full list of episodes and links to where you can subscribe to it on iTunes and Spotify and uh, uh, Android and all the other gubbins where you should leave us a review because it's very good. And our official Twitter, at VGATWATO, where you can find updates and goofs in equal measure, uh, occasionally.
3: I I still say your name is a misnomer because video games... Are not the worst thing on earth. It's the video gamer chuds who are the worst thing on earth.
0: That is very true, but it doesn't make them mad to say that they're as mad as saying video games are the worst.
1: Yeah, the purpose yeah, you're, is you're to right. make them I'm mad, not to accurately describe
0: the situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. All right. And I think that's it from all of us. So thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Matt. Matt, Matt and Matt, thank you so much. Thank you, Matt and Matt, for showing up and being on the pod. It was great having you. I think it was a good discussion. Hopefully I was a little bit more focused this time. I I think so. It was great. I think I'll have very little to edit out of this podcast. Except for your failing at reading. Yeah, that will be cut (laughs) in, in its entirety, and it will make me look like I'm entirely cogent and on the ball. Um, maybe as a bonus content, I'll release every time I fuck up as its own episode. <laughs> Have a good night. I'd probably better get to bed myself.
1: Indeed. I'm gonna go suck on a NyQuil bottle like it's a teat. <laughs> awesome.
0: I'm not sick, but same. <laughs> every time I fucking pull up Patreon, there's a fucking, it keeps pulling up like this this porn game I looked up, like, ages ago. Because <laughs> it's, like, the only thing in my history that it can, like, easily get to. <laughs> and so, so every time I log in, it's just like, Hey, you want to be reminded about this porn game you looked at, like, decades ago? And you're just like, Yes, but <laughs> not, <Yeah>. not
1: now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so... Are, are you ready? To, we are ready to list off the thank yous for all the generous people who have given us money to make this let's, terrible let's podcast. Uh, sorry for the self-deprecation. I can't help it. It's just part of my humor, I guess.
1: I, I do not apologize for the self-deprecation.
0: That's the only thing we don't self-deprecate about ourselves. Yeah, fuck exactly. you, we hate ourselves.
1: That's right. With confidence.
0: With <laughs> <laughs> All right. Robert Miles, thank you very much. Alright, oh my fucking god, Conky. Overly complicated display names that bring me joy in this hell. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Conky. Otherwise, otherwise yes. known as Conky. Uh, Nate M. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having Thanks, a normal mate. ass name. Higgins the Seagull, thank you very much. Big up, Higgins. Robert M. Fenner. I think that one's new. Thank you Robert. I think that's I think that's uh
1: nervous Bob from the Spooky Thanksgiving episode.
0: Oh. Thank
2: oh. you. Thank you,
0: Bob. Oh, of course, it's M- Misanthro Bob. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. We got to do more we got to do more premium apps. that will be fucking dope. Yeah. That'll be cool. All right, Tom DeVane, thank you very much. DeVane. Fuck. God damn it. I always (laughs) with the the dead rising head. Get that right, at least. Yeah, we got that right. But now it's it's Tom Devane, the video games man. I forgot. Jesus.
1: Well, in in America, there's the that big actor is Devane, William Devane Mm -hmm. from twenty four and he does the gold commercials. So it's like when I see that it's very difficult for me to put it as anything else.
0: Yeah, and I I just read it like phonetically. I don't know about this this other Devane, but uh it's so difficult not to say Devane when there's a fucking e at the end of your name um anyway tom Devane, you're way better than that other guy dis and the dragon thank you very much dis what up what up dis and jordan thank you <laughs> jordan has Thanks, been jordan. Thoroughly enjoying the first premium episode, Uh, actually the second premium episode, the first one was our our pilot, like our pre-pilot, us talking to each other while designing the Vigato logo, and goofing around on that aspect. Um, And then our second premium episode, which if you subscribe for $5 a month you will be able to listen to, is us... Going through old video game magazines and roasting the absolutely shitty adverts in them.
1: It's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. Jordan rates it very highly. I wasn't 100% sure about the format, but I guess since uh, someone enjoys it, that uh, we'll keep doing it. And uh, so thank you for being our patrons. We love you very much.
1: Did we get Colin Rusniak? Um
0: Colin Rusniak is on the $1 tier level. Oh, I'm sorry. Positive.
1: Oh, I apologize. I retract thanking Colin Rusniak. That's right. But we'll leave this in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's right. The two ways you can get mentioned in this is by giving us five dollars a month or bamboozling Reese into thinking you've given five dollars a month.
1: Yeah, that's that it's much easier to do that. <laughs>
0: Alright, well thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you again next time.
1: Bye. Bye.